Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to want to do that in the spaces of, of music and sports and leadership and testimonies, authors, you name it, we kind of want to be there. And this, this is kind of wild today. I'm talking to a guy who we've been, I probably should just go back to Messenger and even look. It's been several years through a variety of vehicles, tried to figure out when's a good right time, right space to dig into something. And in uh, God's timing, that's perfect. It landed here in 2022. We started dialoguing. Jim, just so you know, in November of 2016, and here we are. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, not quite six years later, but uh, here we are doing a little podcast. So today I have on Jim Monroe, and I first got acquainted with him through his great testimony through the I Am Second platform, which I love those videos. I'm a huge testimony, God story guy. Can't do enough in that world, and uh, they speak to my heart. They speak to my soul. I love to share what God's doing in people's lives, regardless of scope and size of platform. But uh, uh, Jim was involved in a number of different things, a lot in the world of magic. And just through us dialoguing, uh, find out things are different now and not in the same place. So Jim and Roe, welcome. Thanks for joining us from that big, huge state in the southwest part of our country, Texas. That's right. Yep. Uh, greetings from Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth. That's right. Now, are your Texas Ranger and Houston Astro friends uh, bummed out that you're wearing an L.A. Dodger hat? <laughs> Probably. I grew up in Orange County, California, so I guess you can take the boy out of California, but you can't take the California out of the boy. I don't know. I've been in Texas, though, now longer than anywhere else. I'm technically a Texan, but um, yeah, I'm still a Dodgers fan. So I'll, I'll go with you since I'm in Ohio and I'm from Tennessee. People try to give me grief all the time that only about... 11 or 12 percent of my life was in Tennessee all the rest is Ohio I was texting some guys today actually some pastor friends of mine and the one of them I always give him grief that he grew up in like Arkansas he says he was an Alabama fan which I don't believe because if he was an Alabama fan he would have never left so I tell mm-hmm. him he's an Arkansas fan and he got goofy and screwed up and uh, never supposedly came to Ohio and became a Big Ten fan and I said there's so many corrupt issues and problems with that kind of statement. But uh, anyway, I'd love to give this guy grief. And, and I, I sent a bunch of uh, texting gifts and emojis with SEC stuff, Peyton Manning from his Tennessee days, Rocky Top images. Tennessee's the number one team in the country in baseball right now, baseball guy for Tennessee hitting a home run. So I feel you on that California thing, much like I feel it for myself in Tennessee. So. Yeah. So Dodgers, yep, absolutely. What about the Rams? Did, are you pumped about the Rams winning the Super Bowl? No, because they left us when I was a kid. So, so did you did you hate St. Louis or love St. Louis then? Hate them? No, I didn't. Didn't like the Rams. Yeah, when you're when you're 
in Orange County, either we're a Chargers or a Niners fan. I think we're the Raiders, but I, I, so I grew up a Niners fan. But now I've lived in Dallas as long as I have, so I, I root for the Cowboys, which is which is a curse. <laughs> well, only because they've been like 500 for how many years in a row? It seemed like they were 500. It's bad, man. It's bad. Yeah, I root for them. It's, uh, it's definitely a love-hate thing for the Cowboys. So <laughs> here's what's funny. So of all athletes – I should probably be positive on this show, not negative, but probably the athlete I, I most do not cheer for is Ezekiel Elliott because he played at Ohio State. He could have gone to the yep. SEC. Missouri was wanting him. He chose Ohio State, ditched the SEC, and plays for my least favorite professional team, the Dallas Cowboys. So, <laughs> Wow. So that's what, is, this, is that what this conversation is going to turn into? Because I've got zero defense. We suck. <laughs> Well, <laughs> there's there's still probably technically, no matter what people want to say, America's team. And I was a huge Staubach and uh, Tom Landry. Great respect for him. I actually went to Dallas Cowboys Chapel back in 20, was it 2010? They played the Steelers and my buddy was the chaplain for the Cowboys. So okay. um, they played the Steelers. Only time I cheered for the Cowboys, I figured if I go to their chapel, I got to cheer for them. They lost. I said, I'll never cheer for him again one time. That's it. But it was cool being in a room where, you know, Calvin Hill came in and Jerry Jones had never been to chapel for the Cowboys. He went that particular chapel. So I was in a room with Jerry they Jones. Must have, they must have been having a losing record then. Uh, that I'm gonna, I'll have to go back and look. 2010. That was the year I think that the Steelers won the Super Bowl. But uh, – mm-hmm. I told my buddy, you'll appreciate this being a Cowboys fan, Jim. I said, I told my buddy who's from Louisville, Kentucky now, I said, if something falls out of Jerry Jones' pockets while we're in this room, I'm diving on the floor. Get out of my way. Because it's it's green or it's worth something on eBay. I don't know which. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Don't get me started on the Cowboys. But Have you been to that facility at all? Oh, yeah. I've been to a few games. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Texans don't have – I'm also, I went to the University of Texas, so um, I, I pitched for the Longhorns. That, that was my first career as baseball. And so, um, and uh, then the Longhorns have been stinking it up too. So it's been, it's been some sad football seasons here at the, at the Monroe House. <laughs> so what do you think about but, Texas going to join the SEC? I mean, I think it's a money move. Um, and I think that eventually they'll get to where they want to be. I think if they're going to compete for those that kind of stuff and you need to be playing in the best conference and the SEC is the best conference. So, but it's, it's a money move and this whole NIL thing is just a whole other layer of all that. And I think they saw it coming down the pike and it's, it was just survival of the fittest. Wow. So with that much money, Texas is still the second, it's the second wealthiest school in the country next to Harvard. It's a five, it's a $6 billion a year endowment. How much again? Um, Six billion? Six billion six billion a year. Five to six billion a year. I think Harvard's like eight. So they actually support a lot of the other Texas schools. Um, so there's just not a lot of room for losing. There's not a lot of no nobody likes to lose out here for sure. So so, I so it's, to, it's gotten pretty it's go ahead. So I was just gonna say I try to listen really well when my guests speak. You said something about the SEC and where it ranks conference-wise in the country. Can you repeat that again? That was a really strong statement you made. The SEC. I think the SEC is the football-wise is the best conference. No, no, you didn't You didn't put a parameter on it when you said it the first time. So say it again. How did you say the SEC? 
I see. So the SEC, I'm, I'm restructuring contextually speaking now. I say the SEC is the best football conference oh, in the I, country. Well, just expand on that. I mean, baseball now, they're getting it done. <laughs> Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Texas in the day. Yeah. You, Texas is still, I don't know. Don't, I mean, I did play baseball, so I think we've got way more trips to the show, to the big, to the big dance than anybody else or as many as anybody else. So today they just, I just saw a line. Uh, it was on ESPN.com or whatever that Colby Clemens got called up to the Detroit Tigers. So were you ever exposed to Roger Clemens when you were at Texas? Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he came by a couple times. Um, he, that guy does not like to lose. So um, he pitched in a, uh, in an alumni game one year <laughs> and through the first inning and we shelled him pretty good and he was not happy about it. <laughs> so did he throw anybody's heads? No, he didn't throw anybody's head, but he had some choice words in the dugout about uh, how, uh, yeah. Anyway, he was, he was upset. He's a good guy. Did you hit him? No, no, no. I didn't hit him. No, no, nothing like that. Really? He struck you out or what happened? You, you went up. No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pitcher. No, no. He just, he, we, he came out to pitch the first inning and, and, uh, we, we hit him pretty well. Yeah. Oh man. Jim, I want you to say that you got a hit off Roger Clemens. That would have been, man, that would have been, <laughs> no, I'm a pitcher, man. I was a pitcher. So we, you know, we have DHs now. So did you pitch, did you pitch in that game? No, no, I didn't pitch in that game. Oh, bummer. So, but you guys beat, mm -hmm. you guys beat the alums. I think it ended up winning. Yeah. But it, you know, it's just kind of a fun time more than anything else. Most of those guys are um, just out to have a good time. So, so. I, I'm in the land near the Cincinnati Reds who, unless something changed in the last few days, I didn't know it, are the worst team in baseball. So do you follow baseball closely these days? And what do you think of Major League Baseball? A little bit. Um, I, I get more excited about it, about it towards the end of the season. But, um, yeah, there's some guys that I like to I like to follow, some friends of mine actually. There's a guy named Garrett Mitchell with the uh, Milwaukee Brewers who's a friend. Um, actually, I think he's playing AAA now. Um, he was their first-round draft pick two years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I follow a little bit. I know that, I know that um, you know, money is – the uh, baseball is an interesting sport because you can – it's the only professional sport left where you're allowed to spend over your cap. And um, – that, you know, markets are able to throw their weight behind their team. So that's the reason why Los Angeles and New York are always so good. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, I watch it towards the end of the season. And is that your favorite sport to watch is baseball? No, no. I like watching football the best. Yeah. It's amazing mm -hmm. since and you're, you're how old Jim? I'm 43. Okay. So I'm 52 and I'm just amazed in my lifetime. When I was a kid, you know, I grew up in the seventies, eighties, born in 69 and, Baseball was just, you know, the big red machine, the Yankees teams, the Dodger teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, baseball was it. And, you know, Reggie Jackson, I mean, I, such vivid memories of him as a kid. But I'm like, baseball has just not stayed with the times. And, you know, mm -hmm. when people talk about football and these guys are hiding behind a mask and baseball in every way seems like it should know how to market itself. And they have just struggled and struggled and struggled. And it's yeah. fallen so far down the chain. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's only a matter of time before baseball. The only thing that's saving baseball right now is a 162 game season, because like they can they make most of their. I, my understanding is they make most of their money off the ad revenue. So, and with everybody needing content, you're able to get money from commercials, and so I, uh, that's where all these huge deals come from. Is, is are those 
are those dollars. Well, see, so. the thing about it is, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I, give me football and basketball, one and two. Most of the time I would say basketball because I love the NCAA tournament. And I'm kind of streaking mm-hmm. the NBA playoffs. Sometimes I love the NBA playoffs. Other times I don't. Um, I'm going to enjoy the Celtics-Golden State series. But in, in yeah. its purest form, going to baseball game, I think it's hard to beat. I think just the, the feel, the stadium's so unique compared to any other sport. But it's like, how do they have so much trouble making it work, marketing it? I don't know. I just know their their number one um, their number one audience is is your is you 50, 50 year old white dudes. Well, they they ain't got me, so I, I mean, clearly they're hurting if they're yep. looking to pull me in. I say all the <laughs> yeah. time, give me a give me you know my dream one of my dream trips is I, I you know I want to go to the U.S. Open and watch you know Nadal, Djokovic, whoever in New York. Um, I would love to do an extensive, maybe take a month. And just go to a bunch of minor league ballparks. I, I love mm-hmm. minor league baseball. Yeah, the banana. The uh, have you seen the banana slug guys? Oh, those, that's those the dudes? ones. Yeah, they're uh, what what uh, down south. Where are they at? Southeast. I Park? don't. I don't know where they're. At. Whatever they're doing is it's awesome. Um, but they're college dude. They're college kids. Yeah. Uh, it's like a college league. It's hilarious. Was it CBS or um, one of the news stations? Somebody did a neat little feature about them that was pretty unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They've sold out every game they've played in like the last four years yeah. or something. I feel like it was in like so. Alabama or someplace down south. Was I feel like where those guys? I think it's in Carolinas. I think it's one of the. I think it's in Carolinas. One of the Carolina teams. Yeah. Well, like I said, I didn't do real well in geography in school, so that's I probably don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. So, well, Jim, we could talk like this all day, and I, I love this kind of conversation. But let me let me let people know a little bit more about you and uh, kind of your story. So, tell us the three minute. And I know it's far from three minutes, so we might have to unpack more of it as you go, but kind of your story really getting serious about the Lord and coming to Jesus. Yeah, so um, I grew up in my formative years with more of an atheistic philosophy. Um, I was a baseball player. I got to the University of Texas to play baseball, and while there, uh, things changed. I thought I was going to – I thought I was on my way to, to pro baseball and uh, hurt my shoulder, started asking some big questions, and started um, investigating this Jesus guy um, and kind of started my Christian walk in college. However, I never really, that, that philosophical chess match never really stopped in my head. I don't know if I really had a faith at that point. Um, I kind of asked God, if you're real, you know, you need to make this so real to me that I can't ignore it. And it was through a very long, drawn out cancer battle that he revealed himself to me in a way that I had that I could not ignore. Um, and you can watch the I am second video to get a little bit more detail on it, but long story short, um, I was diagnosed with a disease that I I couldn't kill on my own, that, the that chemotherapy wasn't going to be able to take care of at a 20% chance of living. And it was only through a a bone marrow transplant, um, which is a, is a substitution of blood on my behalf by literally the only person on the planet who could save me of my disease. Um, by their perfect blood, um, you know, I the, the nurses and doctors told me that I got a brand new birthday, that I was literally going to be like a baby being born again. Um, and my new birth, I've got two birthdays. My new birthday is April 23rd. My old birthday is April 20th. And so the difference between the old man and the new life is like on the third day. Um, I came back from the dead because of the only blood on the planet that could save me my disease. And 
I got a chance to meet my my donor, who's basically my savior. Her name's Janelle, which means her her name literally means God is gracious. Um, and she had gotten a tattoo of a jigsaw puzzle piece on the very spot where they stuck the IV in her arm, knowing she was the missing piece in someone else's life. And without her, that person wouldn't be alive. Um, very, it's like have it, like the odds of that happening to somebody are just like being bit by a shark and struck by lightning at the same time. Um, and so you, I just came to a, a place where I realized that there was something bigger going on behind the scenes. And um, for me, that person's Jesus. And I think for everyone, it's Jesus and people, you know, I, I feel like he's jealous and he's constantly putting things out there for us to, to show how great he is. And if we're willing to shelf ourselves for a second and listen to what he has to say, it inevitably turns into a relationship with him. So that's me. That's me in a nutshell. But yeah, check out the I'm second video that Billy Graham got a hold of my story for the last public evangelistic address of his life called my hope America. And that's, mm. they also did a really, really good job with that too. So, so I've seen your testimony. I want to say at minimum three times, I watched it again this morning. And even as you talked about it, I'm like, wow, I, I mean, you, you, you're clear in saying it in the video and that video is so well done. Just the looks on your mm -hmm. face the way you say, I mean, I made note of several sentences that I'd heard before, but they just kind of stood out in context and really see the relevancy of it with where we are in culture 2022, especially things the church is dealing with, with deconstruction and so on and so forth. But do you ever lose sight of the miracle that that is? Because I know I did just from the time I watched it this morning until you said that, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Like, <laughs> you know, how old was the girl? She was 19 years old at the time. Is that right? Mm -hmm. she was 19 yeah i mean do you ever lose yeah, sight it's of that? funny i think yeah I, I think i have i i think it's it's funny i was i was sharing so i used to do this crazy show um i'm sure we'll talk about here in a second and um and i would share it you know 100 plus times a year um all the time every day and i think maybe in just doing that it did, didn't make it any less awesome i just think that through the you just kind of get conditioned to to it just being the story and i was sharing my story with a group of people i don't know about three months ago um at this at this golf luncheon and i heard myself sharing my own story and i was like well that happened to me mm -hmm. <laughs> um so yeah i think i think that that's just true with everybody i think that it's easy to become less grateful or maybe may, it take great being thankful for something requires like some focus and i think yeah like I remind myself of my story regularly. Just, I mean, the Bible says to remember your testimony, mm -hmm. right? So, Amen. Wow. yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine like, I mean, I'm sure my guess is you seem like you'd be a pretty grateful guy and like you would make a point to, you know, grow your capacity and, you know, whether it's, you know, one thing a day you're writing in a journal to remember. And clearly that could be something that you just do over and over and over is focused on, April, what year was that? April 23rd, 2009, 2009. Mm -hmm. So you could go back there often, but you know, talk, talk more about that from a treatment standpoint. And what was that like? I mean, I can't imagine like you get that transplant done and you're hundred percent back to normal. And it was, you know, marshmallow moon pies the rest of that season. I mean, I'm sure there had to be some challenges even after the fact oh, yeah. to some extent. Yeah. So, um, the way they do it, the way they did it back then was you, um, you know, first thing you had to do was they had to find a donor, which is, wasn't, you know, it was kind of a toss up. 
Um, and so, like I said, out of a 9 million person international database, there was only one person on the planet that they were willing to go through with. Um, then they, t- you know, they tell you about this, they call it the hundred days. And this is how they did in 2009, but you, you basically for 30, 30 plus days, you're going to be in the hospital. Um, and they're going to give you the worst concoction of chemo that they can the goal of which is to wipe out cancers, to destroy you. Cause they have to they have to wipe out your old immune system, like completely kill you off because the new system, you know, immune systems are designed to fight against anything foreign. So if they drop somebody else's immune system on the inside of you, it'll fight against your body and there could be a big problem. So they, they kill off the old man. Now, do they say that, Jim? Um, do they say we're going to destroy you? I mean, they say that we're going to take your white blood cell system down to 0.001, which is like an AIDS patient's. Wow. So, you know. Um, so yeah, they're going to wipe, wipe out the old man so they can put the new, essentially this new person on the inside of you. And then the, so you, 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 you do really intense chemo for 10 days. They drop it on the inside of you. And then you're in the hospital for the next 20 or so days. Um, just trying to call it the graphing process, waiting for this thing to take shape and you just feel awful. Um, and then for the next 60 days, you're kind of you're out of the hospital, but you're going back to the hospital for nine to 10 hours a day, getting whatever you need. If you need white, red blood cells, white blood cells, platelet, not white blood cells, red blood cells, platelets, um, whatever your body needs. Cause those numbers are constantly dipping in and out. Um, and then, yeah, after about a hundred days, you feel like nor like not normal, but you're, you're just not struggling. They let me go home, but you're still seeing your doctor probably every other day. But it takes about a year, year and a half to kind of get back up on your feet. So after the process, do you have, as you were talking, I thought this is so second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone mm-hmm. is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new has come. The old is gone. I mean, is that verse, what does that verse mean to you? That's my life. One thousand percent. Like when they look at my blood today, they see her like my, my DNA is my white blood cells are hers. So they see her. It's not me. It's literally someone else living on the inside of me. I mean, that, that has to have some level of intimacy with the Lord, Holy spirit thing there that you probably know that most people don't know. Is that, do you feel like you got a, you know, you, you reference in your testimony, you talk about it, getting a peek behind the curtain. Do you feel like there's a mm-hmm. sense you've peeked behind a curtain spiritually in a way other people can't relate to? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that that's the, that was, that's the, that was the point, you know, when, when people talk about the things that they go through and all things working together for good, um, you know, that, that was the whole point. That was the testimony that was being written, um, was that there was, I'm going to give you a tangible expression of what it looks like for somebody to experience death, come back from the dead and then have, someone else living on the inside of them yeah it's it's pretty pretty messianic so you talk a lot in your i am second video about skepticism wanting what's real uh i need to take a peek behind a curtain um you don't want fake uh would you relate when you see people in that list of who's in that category is growing growing all the time in our world you've got to love opportunities to speak into that into people who are exactly where you were talk about that Oh yeah. Um, and that was back, you know, this, this was 10 years ago. Now I feel like the phoniness level is just 
off it's even it's off the charts like um for me i just have kind of been a pit bull for the truth i I didn't want to um i didn't want to be necessarily a christian i i didn't expect myself to be a christian i thought that i thought that most of what christians did and what they believed in was just a story to help make sense of the world around them in an effort to just try to Santa Claus their way through their existence and just have some kind of hope to deal with the very nasty place that we all live in. And, 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 um, that's how I was. Um, and I, I just, I needed something to be tangible and real. I, I, for me, faith was not going to happen unless I could hang, really hang my hat on it. And I, I think a lot of people today, I, I think a lot of people today potentially call, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to be critical, but I think that the church is kind of in a state of flux right now where it's the rubber is getting ready to meet the road. And like the people who have a conviction and faith about what they claim to believe to be true better really believe that. Well, <laughs> because, you know, yeah. But I think, you know, when you listen to the, George Barna types or people talk about and focus on whether it's purely a younger generation or, you know, people whose parents grew up in a church and they were older, maybe old school and maybe somewhat pharisaical or whatever. And they leave, uh, you know, there's a great documentary out right now with Bart and Tony Campolo. It's only on YouTube, I think called leaving my father's faith. And I think what people say time and time and time again, that people want is something authentic. And people and individuals and relationships in an actual body of people where, you know, you're hearing terms more and more today, like confessional communities and places where people can mm-hmm. just live and be real. Man, I just think you get, you got such a platform, especially showing that video and just other things to say, I can speak directly into that because that's where I was. That's who I was. And I've mm-hmm. never heard anybody say the Santa Claus phrase thing you said there about what you expected or thought Jesus followers were supposed to be. And yet mm-hmm. that's, there's truth in that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's gone from being um, in, in, in an intellectual, intellectual ascent to it's like people know that the spiritual component of their, of what I call traditional Western Christianity isn't r- really hitting that nerve. And there's, I think that there's these, these new communities that are blossoming where it's like total transparency people instead of keeping up with appearances are need a place to bleed um, and just be real. And I think that that's, it's funny. I, uh, I'm not a big, I am not a big, (laughs) well, I'll say there's one particular guy who uh, I won't even mention his name because I don't want anybody emailing me, but um, I'm not a big fan of his, but he did say one thing that was really interesting to me because um, I, I ended up going through a season of like pretty, pretty intense depression and anxiety just through the the rigmarole of travel and the road and um crowds and all that stuff and so um i went i actually went to a treatment facility for 45 days to try and get my get my, my brain reset it was a really strange time um and it wasn't for like alcohol or drugs or anything like that it was just straight for anxiety and depression and while i was there um you get into these rooms in these relationships where people are just totally transparent and they, there is zero pretense and everyone's just 1000% authentic and real. And it's weird, but 
so those rooms are probably as much as what I feel like the church is supposed to look like mm. today as ever. Cause I think people are begging for a place to be just themselves without any judgment. And I don't know. So, so how hard is that in a state like Texas? Like I would think everything you said in that soundbite, as far as, you know, what we're supposed to look like image, all that, that's got to play up heightened in Texas. So how do you live authentically <laughs> and go against that in a state like Texas? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think that, I mean, like there's a lot, there is a ton of great churches here. I mean, I'm not trying to judge churches either. I'm just saying like the shape, the, the shape and feeling of what we believe as, as Christians is, is trending differently to the next generation. And I think the churches that are getting it are, are able to create more opportunities for total transparency and more of a, um, just a transparent spiritual experience for the people that are seeking it. I think that the younger generations are done with pretense and they're done with keeping up with appearances. They're done with institutional, they're done with coffee bars and worship bands. They want, they want, they want to feel the real thing. So I think, I think that that's where it's all going. Um, but yeah, tech, I don't think Texas is any different than anywhere else. I just think it just takes on a different shape. Sure. Maybe it looks a little bit different. Maybe there is a little more biblical worldview out here. So the idea of, you know, Sunday mornings being a time for family to attend a church service is a little bit more conditioned. Um, but, you know, churches are shrinking in Texas too. So how does this term hit you as you're speaking? I'm, I'm this Again, I'm going way off script on a number of things we're here talking about, but how, how does this term hit you when I say this? Pastor Monroe. Oh, man. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Not for me, man. I don't, I, I don't, I do, I do not aspire to be that. Not, not because I, I, I'm just, that's not my gift. I don't think that's my gift or calling. Man, I'd love to have I'm an evangelist by trade. Well, so. okay. There you go. Well, that, yeah, we can live with that then. I, I'm with you there. Yeah. So, so talk about them. You know, you were in the world of magic, you know, that the beginning of that video is you shuffling some cards. Mm -hmm. So talk about that world. And then, like I said, last night I got on your LinkedIn account and I said, Oh yeah, he's made a couple of transitions here in the last few years. So talk about that yeah. world, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then we're, how you've transitioned over COVID. Yeah. So, Magic, by the way, for people listening, magic and illusion in my mind are the same thing. I just use the term. I, I know that there's like witchcraft. I, I've, I've dealt with that with churches all over the world. So I don't think that what I was doing was witchcraft. I thought what I did was I would, I would pique people's curiosities by exposing the lack that people had to make out with their five natural senses what was really true and that they were forced to reconcile with something bigger than themselves. Um, to, to believe something, even though their five natural senses was telling them it was different. And so that's why I used it. It was a very cool illustration of there's something bigger going on behind the scenes of the world you've experienced with your five natural senses alone. I still use magic all the time when I talk to people and it's a great icebreaker. Um, it, it, it puts people into a place of, I, I think it's the, like more so than music. I think it's like the most beautiful, um, uh, universal art form because I feel like it attracts everybody. I mean, there's certain music I just don't like. Uh, mm. <laughs> so if you played it for me, I wouldn't like it. But I don't know anybody who doesn't like a magic trick. So um, I really enjoyed that piece of it. I don't feel like I chose magic per se. I feel like magic chose me. I think mm. the Lord want in the season of ministry that I was doing, the evangelism I was doing, it was just such a cool segue into talking about spiritual things. Um, and so that's why I used it. 
and I was, I was, I was good at it too. Um, but that I, I didn't, I didn't, I used magic more as like an illustration. I wasn't, I didn't fall in love with magic. I just, I loved the illustration. I learned how to do it. Um, but yeah, now I, I, um, see, I work, I work for a firm. I, I work in wealth management. So I work for a firm out of Colorado. Um, we, we specialize in, you know, business owners who have ministries and ministry guys who have businesses, probably the best way to explain it. Wow. So there's a lot of things that you, there's a lot of ways to structure those, um, those businesses and those ministries. Did you find them or did they find you? Um, uh, one of the guys who hired me was on my board before, um, on the maze board. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, do you yeah. guys tie it at all? Are you familiar with, uh, either the Nash national Christian foundation or uh, mission increase? Familiar with both those guys. Yeah. Some of our clients, they like to be in those and some of them like to be in other things. I, I think I'm allowed to say that the firm that I work for, um, I, yeah. So Rick Warren's one of our clients. Okay. Has Rick Warren had any success? Oh yeah. Just, you mean besides writing the second most highest selling nonfiction book of all time next to the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I like anybody who's big, you could be a target. I have massive respect for Rick Warren. I don't know if you've ever gotten to know him or spent any time, but there's a podcast out there from Kerry Newhoff where he did it on video and he went to Rick Warren's library. Mm-hmm. If he charged admission, no, I, I'd go to that library. Yeah. My boss handles his stuff. So I, I've never met him, but I'm obviously a huge, um, huge fan of his. Yeah. The way him sure. and his wife walked through things with their son committing suicide. I have, utmost respect for how they responded and we're actually on larry king mm-hmm. live i don't know if you ever saw that but after that happened they went on larry king live and got interviewed for an hour and talked about that and i thought handled themselves really well mm-hmm. and honored the gospel and how they did yeah that. so they're good people now did you do in the, in the in between that didn't you do some uh consulting work for ministry or for a church or something i think linkedin told me yeah, i worked for my church gateway church here in south lake for about a year and is that the mm-hmm. uh, gateway, the one where, uh, is it Robert Morris? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think a guy I know a little bit, uh, Mark Batterson, I think he went there one Sunday and preached, and your church raised a big amount of money for the Washington, D.C. Dream Center. Yep, yep. Gateway is gateway is, uh, is a giving church. They, Robert's message is, is all about giving. Yeah. It's not about, I mean, it's not about giving money either. It's just about giving for God to love the world that he gave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean giving money. You know, Jim, you know, one of the things I could tell about your heart and, you know, I know it's easy sometimes to hear but someone like me say this and just think, well, do you really know me? I mean, how can you say this? But I like where you seem to really have a balance between where the church is the church and it's the bride of Christ. It may not always be beautiful, but it's still the bride of Christ. And that's the answer and the vehicle God uses and yet you seem to take where there's holy frustration and want the church to do and be better. Is that fair to say about you? 10,000%. Yeah. I love, I love the church. It is the mechanism by which the world comes to know who he is. I mean, it is his body. And at the same time, um, I, we, I, I feel like God gives us wisdom and insight and teaches us to be evangelistic and presents plans and, and there's, there's just a, a reality to going fishing yeah. and being the church and, and being the bride of Christ to a generation of people that desperately need to experience that. And I, I think that, um, 
I think that we're in a really interesting season right now. And I think that the next generation is, is just, um, it's going to look a lot different. And I, I think, I think that that's going to be difficult for a lot of people. Sure. I think it started with the COVID, like these buildings and whatnot. I feel like they're, I think that they're going to dry up. I think that the church is going to look more, a lot more like the, the Chinese church. Mm. I'll tell you what, I'm going to be careful for your sake because you got on me about the pastor thing, about throwing titles in front of your name, but I don't know what your view on evangelism and discipleship is, married, together, whatever, but you got some you got some uh, theology, passion, burn content in you that could be used in either context. And, uh, well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, it's encouraging. So we're going to shift. I do these things called the Rapid Five, and they're kind of five okay. quick-hitting light somewhat silly kind of questions, but uh, these are things that can change people's lives depending on your answers. So uh, let's go. Okay. Number one, Jim, what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? My favorite childhood cereal was, uh, was golden grams. Oh, I had a bowl two um, nights ago. <laughs> My favorite snack has always been Snickers. I'm a huge, I love Snickers bars. Which version of Snickers is the best? The original. Uh, Always, it's 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 a close second. Peanut butter, I'm telling you, peanut butter Snickers. <laughs> I've you had it. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's something about my childhood. But uh, yeah, Snickers bars. That's probably true. So, what's your favorite book you most have or want to gift to other people? Intimacy with the Almighty by Charles Swindoll. Man, you didn't hesitate that at all. Question. Why that book? What's yeah. the, what's so significant about it? I have a stack of them in my, I have a stack of them in my closet. I give to people. Um, it's like the size of prayer Jabez. It's really tiny. Mm -hmm. It's like 60 pages and it's, it's small. He wrote it for uh, pastors who were going on sabbatical. So, but it was Mm -hmm. all about hearing the Lord's voice. I think that the emphasis by every, I think that he's done the best job of encapsulating what it means, how to practice hearing the Lord's voice. It's called intimacy with the almighty. He talks about four S's that you have to have to hear God's voice. And that's solitude simplicity, silence, and surrender. Those four ingredients uh, will will tune you into the, the voice of God and you can hear him for yourself. So I'm super bummed out. We didn't have, we didn't, we didn't get you in a podcast sooner because I was on sabbatical uh, this time last year, or 11 months ago, and that would have been great for my sabbatical, but um, <laughs> get and, that book. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. So here's a good one for you. How old are your kids? 17 and almost 16. So this one still fits. If they were a little bit younger, it might apply better. But um, And you live in a state where I think they have the one restaurant. So you're heading from Texas. Let's say you're coming to see me in Ohio. You get on the road. You can never plan out perfectly based on traffic, bathroom breaks, or whatever, where you're stopping for lunch. And you see on the sign, you're, you know, one of your kids says, hey, Dad, i got to go to the bathroom. So you're stopping 15 minutes sooner than you thought. And you see on the sign, McDonald's. Chick-fil-A, and I'm sure you've been over your travels, in and out Burger. Where are you going? So so you need to say you need to say Chick-fil-A Whataburger in and out in Texas. Okay. Because the war here currently is between Whataburger and In and Out, and it's a big deal. But I I don't understand how people like Whataburger. I think it's gross. So I'm an okay. in and out fan all the way through one thousand percent. Um double double animal style all day long. Dang. You know what's funny? Watching you on video, of everything I've asked you about so far, I barely got the words out of my mouth. You must have paid attention to where I scripted that, and you were just ready to go. I mean, there was no like – I was like, man, I'm ready to have that debate. 
yep. you were. It's and it. they put John. They put John three sixteen on the bottom of all their cups. Oh, they do it uh, in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yep. it's funny when you ask about these three places, the people that really are passionate about one over the other, and it's almost like. The, they're clearly in the, whichever one you don't say is your enemy. Like you have to dog the other one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand what it is about Whataburger, but I, I think it has to do with your childhood. Okay. I think I, it's just total nostalgia for me. I grew up in orange County. So yeah, sure. That's yeah. Now, you know, who's got the orange County, I think it is area somewhere in Southern California there who owns the rights to um, five guys. Are you aware of that? Who has five guys? No, I don't think they've, I don't, I don't think they've opened any up down there. But the guy who has the rights to it is Phil Mickelson. Really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I, I'm shocked that they don't have five guys in SoCal. But yeah. Well, there's a lot of things. They're competing. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things competing there. Yeah. So number four, what is the movie that every time you're watching it, you get if you're, if you're doing old school flipping channels, not streaming, what movie would pull you in every time? You're like, I got to watch that movie. Braveheart. Okay. Mm-hmm. And every man Without at some question. point is supposed to say that one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess I that's that is the greatest movie ever. I think number two. I mean, if I also like, um, I like psychological thrillers. So in in like caper movies, like where they're pulling off of like Ocean's Eleven, or um, you know, I really I, I I liked the movie Usual Suspects. I'm probably like hurting myself here. Make sure you, make sure you watch these with the. DVD or a uh, yeah. remote control. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like movies like that. I, there was a movie called Baby Driver that came out not so long ago that I really enjoyed too. Okay. You're giving me some good stuff to go mm. do with my time. I like this. So Jim, <laughs> who is your first celebrity crush? Oh my gosh. Um, uh, oh, Elizabeth Shue. Oh! You know what? I tell everybody there's two. I'm 52. There's two answers and you can go with either one, but there is a right answer. Elizabeth Shue, number one, choose Karate Kid, Cobra Kai, Adventures in Babysitting, uh, you yep. you name it. The Cocktail was probably my favorite movie with her because that's when she looked just, yeah, I was young. I'm like, <laughs> that's the movie. Secondly, I mean, you got to say, now you're too young, Maureen McCormick, Marsha Brady. I mean, it's got to be one of those two. See, I, would, I was too young. Yeah. I was too young. I, I never, I did not do Brady Bunch. I was, I was an 80s kid. So, Jim, we haven't met in person yet. But wherever you were on my radar, you just went up a notch when you said Elizabeth Shue. Hands <laughs> Elizabeth Shue, down. Man, the Karate Kid. Did you see Cobra Kai? Yep. Have you seen her in Cobra Kai? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been watching it. Yeah, they brought her back. Yeah, it's not the same. They but but uh, yeah, but first celebrity crush definitely yeah. Elizabeth Shue. If they if they would have teased that and she didn't come back on, I would have been so mad. I would have been sending letters to the writers of that show, producers. Ralph Macchio would have heard yeah. from me. Don't don't mess around and tease me with some Elizabeth <laughs> yeah. Shue and you don't bring it. So, all right, now yeah. talk a little bit about the uh, mental health, anxiety, depression, whatever you want to talk about in a short soundbite. Again, as it relates to you, but also I could tell there's a sense there's some ministry you have and want to make a dent in that space. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think it's a very real thing. Um, I think that the way that our culture moves today and how fast it is and how we are conditioned to literally where our, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, smaller and smaller. We're, we're constantly externalizing our joy. You know, we're, we've never, been so distracted 
Um, the word entertainment is actually a French word. It means to hold your attention between two points, entre tall. Um, so it's literally all you got to do to be entertained is to just be distracted by something new. And so what I think is happening is this is the first time that culture has, has had to reconcile just how much is expected of it, a human being, how, how much is expected versus like what we're actually like hardwired to do. And I think that that discrepancy is creating a lot of anxiety and anxiety and depression are two sides of the same coin. So um, I just encourage people to pay more attention to it, learn some practices um, that can, like, you know, prayer is a fantastic way to deal with anxiety and depression. The Bible says to meditate on the word day and night. Meditation is a practice. Um, but I think just making, placing an emphasis on yourself uh, before anybody else. As crazy as that sounds, the Bible says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love anybody else until you first learn to completely care for yourself. And I think one thing that the that we're running up against, I mean, the number one prescribed medication on the planet is the antidepressant. And not that that's a bad thing. It's just, that's the nature of where we're at right now. And I think that we're, we're running into um, that, that human being, people are running into the, the brick wall that we've created for ourselves, which is culture is just constantly firing all the time. We're not, we're not taking time for ourselves. And so I think we need to work a little bit more diligently on learning more Amen. about that and, and helping ourselves out. Amen. Amen. Let's let's stay mm-hmm. in the emotional arena a little bit. Jim, at this point in your life, what makes you laugh? Oh my gosh. What makes me laugh? I think that, um, well, I love watching stand-up comedy. Oh, <laughs> that makes me laugh really hard. Um, I, I think that when my kids and I are able to cut up on and just, I don't know, just be silly around each other, it probably makes me laugh the most. Who are some of the, like, give me like three comedians you're really digging right now. I love, uh, love Jim Gaffigan. I love Sebastian Maniscalco. Oh, yeah. And I love um, Brian Regan. Probably the three that I'd go with right now. So it was probably two or three comedy specials ago, Jim Gaffigan, when he spent probably a half hour talking about horses. Uh, yeah. I was in Montana with a buddy of mine. We were just a group. I take guys most every year to either a father son trip there or a men's trip there. Me and one of the guys stayed up late one night and we were just kind of laughing and wanted mm-hmm. to do some comedy stuff. And we were dying. We were trying to be careful because we're in a bunkhouse and we don't want to wake everybody up. But and then he goes off. I don't know if you remember that bit. He goes off off a bit after he finally leaves it. And then he makes some joke that was maybe a little too tough, a little too hard. And he goes, okay, so you want me to start talking about ponies again, don't you? And then, I was dying. I was dying. Yeah. What about Nate Bargatze? Yeah, are you a, are you a Nate Bargatze fan? Yeah, he's funny too. I I haven't seen him live yet, but I've seen those other guys, and I just I can't get enough of them. They're so funny. Yeah, really, really funny. Yeah, there's I, I don't know if you've uh, checked out Nate's podcast at all called Nate Land. Um, him and oh, I need to check it out. Yeah, him and Brian uh, Brian Bates, who's actually been a guest on here and a guy named Aaron Weber. And uh, it's kind of funny. You'll appreciate this on a podcast. When I interviewed Brian, I guess I got thrown off just being in Ohio and kind of like Cleveland. I said, Nateland. And he goes, well, Jeff, you clearly paid attention to our podcast because it's actually called Nateland, not Nateland. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he just, he came after me pretty hard and they do a great job. They'll take That's a topic funny. like pro wrestling, sitcoms, uh, amusement parks, you know, whatever it would be. And they, they spent about two, two and a half hours just talking about it after some uh, listeners' emails, which are pretty funny, that that stuff as well. But just so self-effacing, not taking themselves too it serious. Out. It's really good stuff. So what makes you cry? Um, 
Wow, what makes me cry? Uh, um, I'm not a big crier. I think, I, I mean, like there's two kinds of crying too. There's like, well, what makes me cry right now is watching my daughter dance. Mm. I cry every single time. Um, cause she's a dancer and she's really good. What kind of dancing? Um, she, she dances for her high school. She's on this, this really, really cool drill team, but they do different dances and stuff. And so they do, um, lyrical dances and, and just, just, it's what, it's amazing to watch her do that. So yeah, I say that's what makes me cry right now. It's watching my daughter dance. What makes you smile? Um, I love watching people, uh, get a piece of Jesus. Wow. Like when they, when, when the light bulb goes on and they, 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 they know that, um, when they hear, when people hear truth, they, they can respond to it one of two ways. They can get really mad about it or they can receive and they can know that it's true. And so watching people kind of get that is fun, really fun for me. I love what you said there. Cause I really believe that everybody wants the truth. It may look murky. They may get sideways with different stuff, but I think we all want what's true. Mm-hmm. And that, obviously that's only going to be found uh, in Jesus. And uh, I think that's why as followers of Jesus, we have to walk in grace and in truth because people want truth. And where are they going to get it? If not for us, nowhere. Amen. So what makes you mad? Yep. Uh, what's currently making me mad is my, 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 it's my son. <laughs> uh oh. Well, how old did you say? Is he 16? Uh, he's turning 16. He's just being a bozo. I, it's like after this, I get to go pick him up and have a really awesome long conversation about being smarter with his humor. How about that? So I have a, I have a, seven, a, a 19, 17, and 15 year old. So forget Elizabeth Shoe Talk. Let's talk fathering son stuff offline and. Let's uh, invest in each other and disciple and learn and grow. And good. I could really talk to you all yeah. about that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, some things aren't funny. So lastly, here's my last question for you, because I think you're going to have a good answer for this. By the way, thank you for being gracious with your time. I think there's much, much good, way better than I would even hope for. And I love the vast array of stuff we've talked about. But First um, Corinthians 11.1 1 is kind of a theme verse for me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I remember really reconciling that verse in my heart years ago because I thought that's never going to be true about me, but I felt like the Lord showed me, like, it's not about following you, Jeff, you, Jim, it's about following Christ and you follow the example of me following Christ. How would someone be wise to follow Jim and Rose's example of following Christ? Um, I, I think it goes back to that book I shared. I, I want to be somebody who who hears the Lord's voice. I think that there's a big difference between doing what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it versus doing something you're supposed to do because Jesus told you to do it. Mm. And I think that that's kind of the very definition of religion. It's really, it's really subtle, but doing something just because you're supposed to is a lot different than doing something because he told you. Mm. And as you get older in your walk with the Lord, you stop being somebody who like takes the play and runs with it. You, take the play and you let him run it through you and that's a that's a big that's a big difference and that all gets boiled down to being able to hear his voice like clearly and being in tune with it when the bible talks about i think it's first thessalonians pray without ceasing Mm -hmm. the prayer is you, you can pray without ceasing you can be in constant communication with him and let him be the one to do it through you not you taking his word and going do it yourself. Yeah. There's a massive difference between those two things. 
And so, yeah, but I think first learning to hear his voice is so important. I think most people want to trust their pastor to go do that on their behalf rather than the onus being upon them to like, no, I need, I need to dig in and hear what he's saying to me for today. But in, in the moment, in the conversation, in the supermarket checkout line, in, you know, anywhere I go, like he, he's speaking and I need to, I need to be willing to have my antenna up and on and listening, listening for that so that I can run, I can let him do something through me. Sure. Jim, I I just got to tell you, I mean, it's, I, I remember talking on here to comedian John Branion recently, and he and I both talked about podcasting, his podcast, this podcast, and he said kind of what I feel. He said, you know, if nobody else ever listened, I'd still do it because it's good for me, and I, I love the conversations I get to have on here. And, and like I said, not knowing you other than some messenger dialogue for the last almost six years, uh, I, I had hopes <laughs> and expectations of where this might go. But uh, I love your seriousness about the gospel you don't seem to take yourself too serious. Um, you definitely seem like a very life-giving guy. I think my guess is if we were in the same community, we'd get to do some life together. And uh, I just love yeah. your attitude and approach about life. I mean, you know, I, I've never asked those questions before about emotion and what, what makes you sad, what makes you happy, what makes you mad, what makes you smile. But your answers to those questions confirmed. I need to start asking that question a lot more. So thanks for your time. Thanks cool. for generosity. If people want to get more about you just in general, some of this is past but you have the book, The Charlatan, The Skeptical, Mysterious, mm-hmm. Supernatural, True Story of a Christian Magician on Amazon. And the mm-hmm. I Am Second video can be found on our website or YouTube. Anything else people should know going forward? No, about you, Jim? that's it. That's it. I might be I might be coming up with some new stuff here soon. So keep an eye out. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, Pinkleton Poolside Podcast, yeah. folks, thanks for being with us today. And, uh, yeah, check out uh, Jim and those, those outlets where we said, and uh, have a great day. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Poolside Podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.